It is a joy to be here with you. Our sermon passage comes from the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 5, and we're going to be reading from verse 12 uh, down through verse 15, a very short passage. Listen now as I read God's Word. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he will withdraw to the desolate places and pray. Thus ends the reading of God's word and together we say the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we are reminded how much you love us and pray even now that you will teach us through your spirit, that we will hear you and that you will show us Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, uh, at the beginning of this service, Paul talked about the reality of loneliness and how difficult it is for us to be alone. It is even more difficult when that loneliness is forced upon us, when we are isolated from community because of maybe our current or past actions, and we become the social pariah. We're familiar with this, of course, in our current context, because we make a business of creating pariahs in our culture. Uh, if you're a politician and you have done something in the past, it may come up and suddenly you're no longer invited. You're no longer included. I'm not bringing up any names. My son who lives in Virginia said, don't say anything. I'll just let you think of any politician that has made that social faux pas, who has uh, broken the code. Uh, but it happens in entertainment. You know, people say things or do things that get them off the list and it isolates them. They become a pariah. Sometimes it's so bad that they can't even find anyone to host the Academy Awards, right? We know how this goes. It even happens in athletics. Now, I don't know what sport you follow. Uh, I follow too many of them, to be truthful. Uh, but in the sport of soccer or uh, European football, there was a young man named Paul Pogba. He's one of the best attacking midfielders uh, in the game. He helped his country, La France, win the World Cup. And yet, he was sitting on the bench on his own team, Manchester United. Why? because he had become a pariah to his manager, Jose Mourinho. Thankfully, they decided to get rid of the manager, and they brought in someone else who put him in the starting lineup and let him play his game, and he scored multiple goals over the last few games. I loved one article in the English press. It said that Pogba had gone from pariah to messiah. And that's exactly what our text does today. It takes someone from pariah 
to the Messiah. And I hope that we, as we study God's words together, will make that same journey with him. Now, we've read the text here. This is a story that seems simple enough. Someone comes to Jesus who needs Jesus to help them or to heal them, and Jesus heals them. And you say, there it is. That's Sunday School 101. You know, where's the, where's the little flannel board with the figures? You know, that he comes up to Jesus, Jesus heals him. But there's so much more to the story. When we read this story, even though it's only a few verses, we might miss exactly what's going on because we fail to understand that leprosy was not simply a disease, but it was a sentence. It was a sentence. Now, of course, when we use the word leprosy in today's world, we are referring to something called Hansen's disease, and it's a very specific disease. You can look it up on Google, please not now, uh, whenever you get home and you can see all about it. But uh, leprosy was a variety of infectious skin diseases that had very specific rules about how to handle them and what you did if someone had it. If you go back to the Old Testament and Leviticus 13, there's a whole list of rules for the priests, who were essentially the, the medical inspectors of the day, for them to be able to analyze whether specific skin conditions were leprous or not. And you say, why would the priest be involved in these medical determinations? Well, it was because if it was the wrong kind of skin infection, if it was deemed to be leprosy, then the person was considered unclean, unclean. And that meant that they would be a pariah. They would be separated from physical contact because if someone touched someone unclean, then they would become unclean. They would be separated from spiritual uh, life, from religious life. They wouldn't be able to go to worship. They wouldn't be able to make sacrifice because they were unclean. And they also would be kicked out of society. They would have to live outside the camp or the city or the community. As a matter of fact, it was so specific that if we turn back to Leviticus 13, which is always a fun place to go, if you have a preacher that's brave enough to read out of Leviticus, you are in a good condition for the day. Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46 tells us what the life of a leper is like. Listen, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. That is loneliness and isolation, isn't it? So this leper that Jesus encounters is not simply someone with a small problem, but he has got a complete life problem. And it's because of something in him that has made him a pariah in his community. He is suffering from involuntary isolation. And that's the first thing I want us to consider as we bring this text home to us. Even in this room right now, I am willing to bet that there are people who are suffering from what they feel is an involuntary isolation. You don't feel connected to other people. And more than that, you don't even feel like it would be right 
for you to be connected to other people. Why? What could create that now? Well, it could perhaps be something that was done to you in your past. Some, si some sort of abuse. Some sort of mistreatment. Some sort of criticism. Some sort of demeaning. And it has created in you a sense of unclean. And you almost feel like, like this leper, you should walk around saying, unclean, unclean, and keep people at a distance. Or it could be something that you've done in your past. We all have a history. Some of us aren't so excited to talk about our history because it doesn't reflect well on us. It doesn't say very much uh, about us. I, I loved uh, uh, an old preacher named Steve Brown. He's still around, uh, but he would make this comment to people he would deliver God's word to. He would say, if you knew me, and I mean really knew me, you would not want me preaching to you right now. He says, but if I knew you, I mean really knew you, I wouldn't bother preaching to you right now. And isn't that the way it is? So many of us have these things in our past, and God has given many of us grace to overcome them, to be forgiven, to move forward. But for some of us, it is that thing that isolates us, that controls us. What is it that causes you to feel involuntarily isolated? Secondly, as we walk through this text, I want us to look, I want us to really zoom in on the transformative touch of Jesus. As we read these gospel stories, it's easy for us to make the other characters in the stories the main character. But if you're reading the stories of the gospel, Jesus is always the main character. He's the lead character. He may not have the most lines, but he always is the most important person in the scene. And so here we see a few words of Jesus, but a tremendous action. Let's consider this transformative touch for a second. Before we do that, let's think about how this leper comes to Jesus. First of all, he has a desperate approach. It may not seem that way in the text. Uh, it says that uh, in verse 2, when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. That doesn't seem all that dramatic, but it really is. Remember what we read just a few minutes ago from Leviticus, he was supposed to keep a distance. He was supposed to be walking around yelling, unclean, unclean. In other words, the leper had the responsibility not to come in close proximity with other people, lest they become unclean. And yet, in his desperation, he has found a boldness. He has heard about Jesus, perhaps, this wonder-working rabbi who was traveling throughout the area, and he said, if anybody can help me, if anybody can help me move from isolation to community, it's this person. And so he seeks him out, and he breaks the social taboos of his time, the rules and regulations that he was supposed to follow as a Jewish person, and he comes close to Jesus because he's desperate for help. And I find that approach so helpful for us. If we want help, Getting out of the involuntary isolation we experience, we have to get to a state of desperation. We have to realize there is only one who can help us. But we'll get to more of that in just a minute. Secondly, we see in him that he recognizes that Jesus has the ability 
to do something about it. He's learned enough about Jesus to know, I don't know everything about Jesus, but I know enough to know that he can help me. He, he can help me. Thirdly, I love it as he approached. The only question he has is, will he? Will he help me? He, he can, but will he? And sometimes I think that's the way we approach Jesus. We know he has all the power. We're not really sure if he's willing. And so we stop. But it didn't stop him. He knows he can. He doesn't know if he will. But he places himself there in front of Jesus. And then what happens? Something so remarkable. Jesus exceeds his expectation. He doesn't just say, be cleansed. He touches him. It is amazing. He stretches out his hand. He touches him. He says, I will be clean. The leper just hoped he could help him. Instead, he touches him. And I know you think, what's the big deal? He touches him. Well, <laughs> according to Leviticus, Jesus, someone touching a leper makes them unclean. But Jesus was not made unclean. Instead, cleanliness started working the other way. Instead of it going from clean to unclean, it went from unclean to clean. And I want you to think about it. When can, have you ever been touched that it sent an electrical pulse through your system? Maybe it was when you haven't seen a family member for a long time and you got out of the car after a long drive and that first hug just made you feel like you were home. Or many of you are young enough to remember that special person in your life. The first time you held them. The first time your lips met and you felt just a little weaker in the knee. I know that we think that's just Hollywood movie stuff. It actually happens. You know, I've you know, it, you have to hold, somebody has to hold on to you a little bit more. In other words, just the touch meant something. How much do you think it meant for this man who had not been touched since his leprosy started to feel contact of human touch? Jesus touches him. And it is transformative, isn't it? You know, it is just wild. And all the effects of that uncleanness gets undone through his touch. Remember, I said it had three aspects. No one could touch him. Jesus just touched him. And it's the beginning of touch that he can experience and enjoy. Secondly, I said that this kind of thing separated people from uh, the religious community, from being able to go to worship. But notice what Jesus tells him to do. Hey, you need to go right to the priest because they're going to look at you. They're going to recognize you've been cleansed. You're going to do the sacrifices that Leviticus chapter 14 require. And they're going to accept you back to worship. So you get to come back to church. I know that some of you are thinking, what? You mean you had a pass to get out of church and now you want to get it in church? But trust me, they wanted to go to church. They wanted to be in fellowship with other people who believed in God. And now he can't. So now he can come back and learn about God and celebrate God and enjoy him. But thirdly, he can now enter back into society. He can move back into his home. 
He can move back to his community. He can hang out with his family or his friends. Finally, he is restored completely. Everything that had been taken away from him, Jesus gives back because of this transformative touch to him. How does he do that? We have to ask this question whenever we see these stories. Where does the uncleanness go? Does it just evaporate like water on a hot day? No. Jesus takes his uncleanness and the uncleanness of all of those that he touches throughout the gospel stories upon himself. Because the uncleanness of this world, the shame that comes from sin, the illnesses, diseases, and even death are all a result of human rejection of God. It's called the fall. It's in Genesis chapter 3. And all of the suffering in this world, natural and unnatural, is because of sin entering into the world. Jesus is able to reverse this process by taking into himself the effects or results of sin. And he does it, of course, on the cross. That's why this church is named King's Cross. Yes, he is a glorious king, but he is the king who took our shame, our isolation, our penalty upon himself in the cross. And he paid the price for all of it. He took the unclean so that you and I can be clean. He shows that he's accomplished this perfectly by raising from the dead on the third day so that we can know there is no doubt about it. He has accomplished his purpose. As we continue to look at this text, it causes us to ask another question about our situation. If Jesus could touch someone and they could go from being unclean to being clean, why is it that we still think of people as untouchable and unclean. Why would we, as followers of Jesus Christ, if that's what you call yourself, why would we think about people as untouchable? And you say, well, I would never think that. Really? How, how about people who have, have a, a, a history of a kind of sin that makes you uncomfortable? What about someone who's struggling with drug addiction or alcoholism? What about somebody who is dealing with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria? You see, in many Christian cultures, those people are considered untouchable, unclean. Is the power of Jesus capable of touching and changing anybody in any situation? And the answer is yes, it is. But why do we feel that we need to maintain our distance? It's because we don't understand the complete and transformative power of the touch of Jesus. How in the world can we get there? How can we get there? How can we move from the fear of those that are still outside, whether voluntarily or involuntary, to the engagement with those that are? Well, we have to do it through another kind of isolation, not involuntary isolation, but instead intentional isolation. Notice how the text ends it says that Jesus would withdraw, verse 16, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
Now, I want to make a couple comments about this because I, even though I don't live in Loudoun County, I just ministered in Naperville, Illinois for the last 13 years, and it's a, I'm guessing it's a little like Loudoun County. Maybe not. Let me describe Naperville for you. It's a, a suburb of Chicago, city, uh, metro area of 9 million people. We're 30 miles outside. We have metro trains that go in every day. The vast majority of my people would go into the, into the city at 5 a.m. on a train. They would come back out of the city between 6.30 and 7.30 after working all day down in the city. They would then immediately go to whatever child's activity and or game that was happening at the particular moment. They would come home at 8 o'clock, make sure their children completed all their homework so that they would not fall behind all their other high-achieving children in our excellent schools, number one in the state, of course, so that they could go to any university they chose, including Ivy and Stanford which we can kind of include them in that, right? And then they would go to bed and wake up the next day and start all over again. Can y'all relate to that at all in Loudoun County? I don't know. Maybe y'all are chill here. Maybe y'all are like underachievers. I don't know. But I hear Loudoun County is kind of like Naperville. And that was the culture. And so what Jesus does is so counterculture in an area like where I ministered anyway, and you can decide whether it applies to here. Because what was happening in Jesus' life as he would withdraw and pray? The wildest success any of us could hope for. Look at what had happened to his ministry. Crowds, great crowds were coming around him. In other words, he was having the success of success. He was on fire, right? I mean, if he was you too, he would have just doubled up the tour season one more time. I'm sorry, I'm a kid of the 80s. They're the band I think of. Uh, Sorry about that, all of those of you who are actually young still. But instead, it is amidst this wild success that he pulls away. He withdraws. He withdraws from all of that. Why? This is where we often get confused. We often want to think, was well, because he's Jesus. <laughs> you know, people like Jesus, they do that sort of thing. Why would Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, why would he purposely leave the wild success and go spend time by himself with God? It was for two things, restoration and relationship. You see, Jesus would have this intentional isolation because he recognized That in order to continue to do the things he knew he needed to do, he needed to have the energy to do it. Why is it so many of us fail to experience the touch of Jesus in our life? Why is it that we fail to be able to actually touch those that we consider to be outside the reach of Jesus' transformative power? It is because we are not being plugged into the power that God provides through Christ. Because we're never pulling away. We're just in the same ebb and flow as every person who doesn't believe in Jesus. And so we never are recharging and we're never relating. Now, my wife just put on a big conference. About 400 women were there in Atlanta, Georgia. We had a great time. We flew up yesterday afternoon. And uh, there are a couple women in this church Uh, three women, I think, that were there at the conference. And I think all of them have children, some of them multiple children. You know, I can only imagine how anxious their husbands were for them to get home. Right, Paul? He gives me the thumbs up over there, right? 
Why? Was it just because they needed help hanging out and taking care of the children? No, it was because they missed the relationship with their wife. After just a few days, and I know the wives were anxious to get home because they loved being with their kids and they loved being with their husband. They loved doing their jobs. And they're glad to be home because they want to re-engage in those relationships. When we say that we love Jesus Christ, do we want to be in a relationship with him? Or do we just wear him like a merit badge? Yes, yes, I, I achieve Jesus status in my religious education, you know, kind of like Eagle Scout, you know. Or is it a relationship? Because a relationship takes intentional time. It takes intentional isolation. Something I ask every person who's married, uh, I hang out with uh, the husbands most of the time. I say, when's the last time you've taken your wife on a date? And do you know why? Because I know it's important that we have intentional isolation from other things in the world to focus on our relationship. That is true in your spiritual life as well. We have to intentionally get out of the flow and spend time on the relationship so that we can be recharged for the relationship. And it's through that that suddenly the power of the gospel comes to us and will run through us to those that Jesus desires to touch in our life and our ministry. May God give us grace to escape the involuntary isolation. But may we know his touch and may we be glad to spend those intentional times away, alone with him together. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. That you give us your word. That you give us your spirit. That you minister to our deepest needs. That you help us in so many ways and everything. Continue to be with us and help us and change us, and cause us to desire more and more to hang out with you and talk to you and grow our relationship with you that we might know your power, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.